This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, the four Gospels are, are filled with parables, aren't they, from the Lord Jesus Christ during his ministry. Uh, some of them are, are very well known, some of them less so. And Jesus used parables as a means of preaching the message. Um, parables are, are short stories, as we know, aren't they? Uh, and on a very basic level, I suppose a story is more appealing, isn't it, than, than a simple spoken word. It's remembered more easily. And the more we remember something, the more we think on it. And Jesus wanted his teachings to be thought on, to stay with the people who heard them, so that they would think on them and dwell on what he was saying. And they're based on, on real-world events, on the real-world situations. Uh, it's easier to remember something, isn't it, when we are reminded of it by something that we see in our lives. And to many people, they are, they are nothing more than, than, than just little stories that have no real use to anybody uh, but another reason he used them was that only those who put the effort in to listening to really listening to what he had to say and to really try to understand it well only those people would get the benefit of the message that was contained within the parable I've heard it put um, this way that, that a parable is like a shell that keeps a fruit good for the diligent but keeps it from the slothful so there's that idea that the parable's there for a reason, to help us remember it and, and to, to make sure that those who, who put the effort in do actually get something out. So to a lot of people, they appear as foolish, those who, who don't want to know. Uh, and, and Paul mentions this idea in the first of Corinthians. He says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty might sound a little bit strange but that Paul goes on to say that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God so when he says worldly wisdom in that context he's talking about knowledge that would be seen as beneficial in the world knowledge that would enable us to get rich to be well off how to influence people to be powerful how to strive for academic excellence for recognition for fame all those things which are seen as worthwhile. And it's this wisdom that is seen as, as foolishness by, by God. And why is that? Well, because in the long run, it doesn't actually make any difference to us. It doesn't do us any good, does it? It won't save us. And the things of God, the things which Jesus was teaching, was wrapping up in these parables, well, those were the things which really can change lives. They can affect our eternal well-being. Which is why he says, don't concentrate on the worldly wisdom, but concentrate on godly wisdom. Things that can really make a difference. So with that in mind, we come then to the, to the Gospel of Luke. And Luke contains many parables, just as the other Gospels do. Uh, some of the parables in Luke we also get in some of the other Gospel records, and others of them only appear in Luke we don't find them in any of the other gospel messages so what we want to do this afternoon is just take a look 
out of few of those parables that only appear in the Gospel of Luke. We're not going to look at all of them, we don't have time. We'll just look at a few of them uh, and see what we can gain from them from looking at those parables. We're going to start in Luke chapter 12, please. <clears throat> what is known as the parable of the rich fool. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. And he spake a parable, this is Jesus here, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So we have this very rich man here, he's already fairly wealthy, and then on top of that, his ground brings forth plentifully. So he has even more wealth coming his way. Uh, and what does he do? Verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. And he says, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So this is what he does. He consults with himself there. Uh, and, and he really certainly does that, doesn't he? In those two verses there, the, the word I or me or my occurs no fewer than nine times. It's all about him. It's all about number one. And note also there, it says um, at the end of verse 18 there, I will bestow all my fruits and my goods, everything he was keeping for himself. There was no concept here of sharing this, of using it for any other purpose than for his own gains. Well, in terms of attitude, I suspect it's not something we've never seen before. It's the sort of attitude which can be actively encouraged today, isn't it? Get as much as you can. Earn as much as you can. You can never have too much. And get everything, even, even if that costs you greatly in terms of time or family or, or whatever. That's, that's the priority. And that was the attitude of this man here in this parable. His own personal wealth meant more to him than anything. And once he's accrued this wealth, he thinks he'll just enjoy himself. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he thinks, yeah, excellent, I can just put my feet up now and, and do whatever I want to do and enjoy all this fabulous wealth that I've got. And what happens? Verse 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? His life ends, that's it, game over. It's all gone. And what does God call him there, thou fool? And we've just thought about the words of Paul there, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And here's an example of exactly that situation. He's used all that worldly wisdom to get him wealth and goods and possessions. And in a fell swoop, it's all over, it's finished. Um, and the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God and why because there was no point really to all this stuff that he'd accrued there was no good in all these riches and all this wealth it didn't save him and what good are riches if we don't have life verse 21 so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God and just confirming those words that Paul spoke there about the foolishness of worldly wisdom compared with the knowledge of God and the Bible teaches us that the good things we need come from God just keep a finger there and come to um, Matthew chapter 6 please <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus is talking about this, this very subject here 
verse 19. And he says there, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what we spend our time following is what we set our heart on. It's what we become at the end of the day, isn't it? Either following the, the, the desire for riches and wealth, and that's all we'll be, or following God. And he says in verse 31 there, um, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And, and yes, we have to feed ourselves, we have to clothe ourselves, but we shouldn't let that dominate our lives at the expense of all else. God knows the things that we need. And verse 33, yeah, but verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That should be our priority. That's what we should spend our time concentrating on. Because all those worldly wealth items, they're not going to save us at the end of the day. They won't make any difference to our long-term well-being. Whereas the things of God truly can make a difference to our eternal salvation. And it sets that important precedent. A worldly wisdom with concern so much with possessions and wealth, but godly wisdom dictates that such things don't really have any long-term value when we really stop and think about it. And with that in mind, we'll come to our next parable in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, the, the Pharisee and the publican. And here we have two very different people in this parable. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. So, so here we have this Pharisee, and he really loves himself, doesn't he? He thinks he's the bee's knees. Uh, aren't I good? Look at all the good things that I do. I fast, I give tithes, and, and so on and so forth. And he's just blowing his own trumpet. Uh, note in verse 11 there, it says he prayed with himself. He wasn't really talking to God at all. He was talking to his own ego, basically, wasn't he? He was a very arrogant person, and he wants everyone to hear about him and how wonderful he is. And he's quite happy to put others down, and he demeans the publican. You can almost hear the contempt in his voice. And by contrast, then, we have the other character, the publican. Verse 13, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He stands afar off. He doesn't even feel good enough to stand close. And he can't bring his eyes to heaven. And he recognises his status as a sinner before God. And when he says there, merciful, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That word that we have translated merciful there, the Greek word, only occurs in one other place in the Bible. And it's in Hebrews chapter 2. And it's, I'll just read it to you. It says... 
Wherefore in all things it behoved him, this is the Lord Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And it's that word reconciliation there, which is the same word that is used by this publican here. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And how did the Lord Jesus make reconciliation for the sins of the people? I was told in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins. So in short, this, this simple prayer that the publican makes here, he has recognised his own need for a saviour, for salvation, his own need for a sacrifice. And he recognises his own sins and his need for God's mercy. And what a contrast between those two people there. Now again we get at the start of the parable in verse 9 we get this, this little summary about who the parable is aimed at don't we um, they spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others those who, who think they're better than everyone else and how often we see this attitude and it's so, uh, so uh, visibly demonstrated there in these two characters in the parable and what is it that God really wants? Well, verse 14 there, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And that's what God wants. That's the attitude that God is after in those who follow him. He wants humility, some recognition of our true state, of our need for forgiveness, just as this publican did and need for God's mercy not proud, not self-exalting, not arrogant and that's the attitude that God wants and David the psalmist emphasises this in Psalm 34 he says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit and that's what God's after and that's what the parable is really emphasising there the character that God is interested in now turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Well, there's, there's actually three parables in this, in this chapter. Two of them are, are unique to Luke. We've got uh, the lost sheep at the start of the chapter. That is also recorded for us in, in Matthew. And we have the lost piece of silver and we have the, 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 the lost son, I suppose, or the prodigal son, as we call that, that uh, section that we had read at the start. And as the, the name suggests, they're all related to, to things being lost and to start off with then the, the lost sheep at the start of chapter 15 uh, verse 2 and the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them the scribes and the Pharisees were, were grumbling that, that, that Jesus was associating himself with sinners uh, why you can almost hear them why why is he mixing with them we're, we're better than they are why is he spending time with them and not us so these parables that Jesus tells then in the remainder of the chapter are in response to that attitude that he's being um, that is being shown to him by the, the scribes and the Pharisees so this first one then the lost sheep um, chapter 15 verse 3 and he spake this parable unto them saying what man of you having an hundred sheep if he lose one of them doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it and when he hath found it he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he cometh home he calleth together his friends and neighbours saying rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth 
more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. So he uses a sheep here to, to illustrate someone who's, who's wandered off, who's left the fold, who's, who's moved away. And sheep are pretty stupid things, aren't they, really? I don't know if you've ever got stuck driving behind one on a road, and they run straight down the road, and they could step off either side, but they don't. They keep running, don't they? They're, just, they're a bit stupid, sheep are. But that's, that's like we are sometimes, isn't it? We're a bit stupid in the things that we do, and we go off in our own directions, and we get into all sorts of trouble. And when such people realise their mistake in wandering off, when they come back, when God finds them, there's great rejoicing, as it says in verse 7 there. And the key word, I think, is, is that idea of repentance, isn't it? In verse 7 there. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. So that person who is away from God, who is not in the right place, when they come to repentance, when they come to an understanding of, of God's ways and they realise their need for repentance... That's when great joy is in heaven. And it's a similar idea in the next parable, the, the lost piece of silver in verse 8. Uh, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I have lost. And again, he emphasises the point. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And the woman here that loses the piece of silver, the fact that it mentions it was one of a set of, a set of ten implies it was probably some kind of jewellery, some kind of sentimental value. And she searches hard to find that which is lost. She turns the place upside down and again there is rejoicing when she finds it. Now there's always similarities between these two parables here. They both lost something and they're both looking to find it. But there's also a, a subtle difference as well. Now the lost sheep... The sheep had wandered off into the wilderness. It was a long way from home. And the shepherd goes to find it. The coin, however, was in the very same house as the woman. And yet she still searched. She had to search to find it. And I think the point that Jesus is making is that being lost in this sense, it can mean that, that we're a long way off. We're way off track like the sheep was, way off in the wilderness. But we can also be lost when we're not a long way off as well. And the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus was talking to here, well, they were of the same house of Jesus. They were Jews like he was. But, but they were lost because their attitude of mind was wrong. And as far as Jesus was concerned, they were therefore lost and they needed to be found again. So he's emphasizing the point there that just because they weren't way off the rails, it doesn't mean that they weren't lost. And a lot of people say, don't they, oh, I'm, I'm not such a bad person. I'm not that bad, really. Well, just because we're not that bad doesn't necessarily mean that we're perfect. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't need to be found. So we come to the third parable then, this of the, the lost son that we had read at the start for us. That's this story, it's a reasonably well-known one, isn't it? Of the, the young man, and he wants his inheritance early. Verse 11 a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Uh, never mind this waiting around, the young man thinks, for his inheritance, which would be the normal way things would go. No, none of that. He, he wants it now. He's fairly impetuous, and he's impatient, and he wants it. And why does he want it? Verse 13. 
not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living that's why he wanted it he wanted a bit of that riotous living he was somewhat wasteful he wanted to live the high life with no thought for the consequences and he wanted to indulge in all the world had to offer in all those things that are out there note as well there it says he took his journey into a far country it's like the sheep in the first parable isn't it it was far off it was in the wilderness it was lost and the young man here deliberately goes off on his own way of his own will unsurprisingly his money soon runs out which leaves him in a spot of bother when there's a famine there in verse 14 when he'd spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want he then kind of has to come down a few pegs shall we say and he ends up working in the field with pigs in fact he's so hungry he would have eaten the pig food it says in verse 16 there and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave to him so all those friends which undoubtedly would have attached themselves to him when the money was flowing suddenly they are all absent they're not there and at this point when he's in the middle of the pigs he, he I suppose we'd say he comes to his senses he woke up he had a reality check verse 17 and when he came to himself he said how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I, I perish in hunger and he realises at that point what a foolish person he's been and again what, what seemed wise in the worldly sense at the start to have all that money to go and spend it to enjoy himself and and have all that was on offer well with hindsight that didn't actually do him any good and that's why God views it as foolishness that's why he calls it such and he realises how much better off he would have been had he stayed with his father even the servants are better off than he is he realises what he's done and he decides to go home and he prepares this little speech verse 18 I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him father I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants and he realises his mistake and we compare now the, the person that he is now to the person he was in verse 12 in verse 12 he was impetuous he was impatient he was a bit greedy really wasn't he and now when he's come to his senses what do we see we see some humility he realizes his mistake and he wants to go back and he says make he will, he will say make me as one of your servants and that's the important point isn't it is that change in attitude that change in thinking that change in the kind of person that he was he makes his way home and verse 20 uh, he arose and came to his father but when he was a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him his father's been watching out for him watching and hoping that he'll come back that he'll return and when he finally sees him he rushes out to greet him and by right the young man really didn't have anything did he he'd used up all his inheritance he'd burned it he'd wasted it and yet his father welcomes him with open arms son doesn't even manage to finish all the message that he prepared before the father welcomes him home and he does acknowledge his sin though doesn't he verse 21 father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight so we see there that change of attitude that change in thinking 
And the parable shows us the, the importance of following godly wisdom. But even if and when we fail and we wander off, God will always welcome us back if we are repentant. And the final parable I want to look at is in, in Luke chapter 7. A parable of the, the, the two debtors. Now it's only a short parable. We just want to look at a little bit of the context around about it. Here in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited into the house of one of the Pharisees for a meal. Uh, the Pharisee's name is Simon. Um, and it's there in Luke chapter 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So he goes into the Pharisee's house to have this meal. And while he's there, this lady comes in. Verse 7, behold, 37, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So this woman here is described as, as a sinner in today's language. It basically means she was a prostitute. That's, that was her, her role. And henceforth the, the, um, the reason she's described as a sinner. And she has this very expensive box of ointment and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and then anoints them. Now it, it seems a strange thing to do but in those days it was customary to wash the feet of guests that came to your house. A very hot, a very dry, dusty climate. It was what they did. And yet the host here, this Pharisee, Simon, he hadn't bothered, he hadn't done any of that. But this woman, who was seen as a sinner, she did. In fact, Simon's reaction, the Pharisee there in verse 39, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Simon looks down his nose at this woman, doesn't he? He's not impressed with her at all. It was very similar to the Pharisee in the other parable we looked at, wasn't it? The way he treated the publican. Really looked down his nose at him. But not so Jesus. And in response to, to Simon's attitude, he tells this short parable here. Verse 40. Jesus answering said unto Simon, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. So Jesus tells this parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? So we have these two people, they both owe somebody money. Uh, One basically owes ten times what the other one owes. And it's not really a difficult question to answer, is it, that he asks? Well, clearly the one who owes more will be more grateful, will show more gratitude. And why does Jesus tell this parable then in response to the way Simon was thinking? Well, the creditor there, I suppose you could say, is God in the parable. The two debtors are Simon himself and this woman. Yes, that the woman, the the sinner, may have owed more in the sense that she had more to be forgiven, I suppose you could say. But that didn't mean that Simon, this Pharisee, owed nothing at all or was perfect. And yet the woman had shown her enormous gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. She recognised her need for forgiveness and her actions demonstrated that gratitude. Simon, on the other hand, he'd done nothing, had he? Verse 44, And Jesus turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. 
Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. So Simon had done nothing, but this woman who Simon viewed as a sinner, she had showed so much gratitude for what she realized Jesus was. Verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little. And as a result of her attitude and her recognition of her position as a sinner and her need for forgiveness, her sins are forgiven. And there, verse 48, Jesus says, Thy sins are forgiven. Then verse 50, he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So the faith of this woman had saved her through the forgiveness of sins. And that's, that's an important point for us to remember there, that it is through the faith and recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have forgiveness of sins. So that's, that's just a few, a few parables from the book of Luke. Um, we've considered the rich fool, the, 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 those who are greedy, only bothered about possessions and what he could do to obtain for his own wealth, for his own enjoyment, with no thought for God. And the lesson there is, for us, don't get swept along with the so-called wisdom of the world. It won't actually do us any good in the long run. And yes, we need to work, we need to earn money to feed and clothe ourselves, but we shouldn't let that be the all-encompassing reason for our lives. And instead we should spend time thinking about God and about God's ways and what that truly can do for us. The Pharisee and the publican, the arrogant Pharisee who loved himself, the humble publican who recognised and acknowledged his true state. And the lesson for us there, be, be humble, be honest about who we are, about what we need, that we are sinners, that we need forgiveness the lost sheep, the lost coin and what is lost God will search for until it's found and the lesson there, God will not give up on us whatever state we're in, wherever we are he will not give up on us and the lost, the prodigal son again he got carried away with the wisdom of the world and he caught up in a desire for wealth and possessions but he came to his senses and confessed his faults and again the lesson there for us is, is clear isn't it the wisdom of this world will get us nowhere in the long run and we need to realise that to understand that and to confess our sins just as the son did and finally the two debtors those who are forgiven debts they, they could never repay and the showing of gratitude for that and, and the lesson for us that through the Lord Jesus Christ we can have the forgiveness of sins there is no greater gift that we could have Death is the consequence of sin. So the forgiveness of those sins, the removal of that consequence, is the greatest gift. And we should show our gratitude to God. So it all kind of fits together, I suppose, doesn't it? We shouldn't get caught up in the worldly race for riches and wealth. We shouldn't think we're more than we are. We need to show a little humility. And if we can do that, then we'll recognise our need for repentance, the need that we have for forgiveness. And we'll realise that the only way that we can have that forgiveness is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great debt he has paid on our behalf. And what gratitude we should have to him for that. And we should show our gratitude 
by taking some action in our lives. The verse in Matthew 6 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the kingdom of God is what is promised to all those who do ignore the wisdom of the world, who show some humility, who recognise their true state and their need for forgiveness and repentance. And that kingdom will be a place of goodness, a place of happiness, a place, a place where there's no pain, there's no death, there's no sorrow. And it will be here on this earth. And if we want to take up God's offer of a place in that kingdom, we need to make sure that we listen to the message that is preached in the Bible, in these parables and throughout the pages of Scripture, and really think carefully about them and take some action based on what we find. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.